Welcome to BizBody, everyone. I'm your host, Keith Shimon. There's a common trait that most successful people share. Consistency. They wake up to routines. They have people that support them, that have similar mindsets. Their schedule is set up for a specific goal. They do more than just show up. They put in the work day in and day out. I first met Matt Wenning at the International Performance Institute in Bradenton, Florida. Now, I coached many strong athletes before, and Matt and I were both assistant strength coaches there, and when I noticed how much Matt was moving when he lifted with speed, I realized I had a lot more to learn about strength. Matt took my expectations of what a human being could lift to a whole new level. And he continued to practice, read, and share, you know, every step of the way, every day, that staple of consistency. Matt has his master's in biomechanics from Ball State University. He owns Ludus Magnus as gym. He is an experienced equipment designer. He is an online entrepreneur and an elite level strength coach and holder of three powerlifting world records. You know, all of this achieved through consistency. So, how are you showing up every day? Are you consistent? Or are you just going through the motions, saying you're going to start something new and quit just to do it again? Or are you putting together a schedule to make sure that you are on point and showing up every day? In this conversation, we talk about what it means to be consistent and how to be consistent and how to show up. And now, the conversation with Matt Wenning. What's up, dude? What's up, man? Shit, not much, man. Just working and... <laughs> it's only been like 20 years. I know, dude. It's been forever. <laughs> Been oh, I was trying to remember, weren't we at IPI at the same time? Was that was that where we met? Yeah, dude. I just been so long. Yeah, I yeah. Remember, like you know, yeah. So I, see, I all that I was I was by that time I was getting I was in my I think my GA I was getting my grad I was getting my grad degree probably at that time, and then once I got done with that, it was like I hit the military with my feet running, and it was like from with lifting and military stuff from like 07 to like 2014 is just a blur because it was just so, so crazy at that time. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to hear about like that whole entire time. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. We can, we can talk about that for sure. It's pretty interesting. So when I got, when I finished grad school, so my first year of grad school, Dr. Newton was still there from Australia. And then he decided to move back mm -hmm. to Australia my last year of grad school. And uh, so I was kind of left to my own devices with all my projects, which was fine because I wanted to study power in the biomechanics lab where Pete and I both got our master's degree, started to really flip towards more clinical bio versus sports and power. They started doing more like yeah. amputee and, uh, you know, cerebral palsy type stuff, and which was awesome and interesting. But for, for me, it wasn't. It wasn't what I was trying to go for. Well, <clears throat> about a month and a half after I graduated, so I, I walked in May, but I didn't finish my paper because I was working down in the weight room with Wade where Pete and JC worked. And I just didn't have time. Mm -hmm. I didn't have time to finish my, I was getting an MS instead of an MA. So I had to actually write a real a real paper, you know, and, uh, so, you know what I mean? And, and coming from, yeah, completely. It's totally different yeah, coming from there. It was coming from there. They were Nazis about it. I mean, we, I think I turned in my final paper probably about 14 or 15 times before they finally approved it just for small, little, tiny, crazy shit. And, uh, long yeah. story short, I finished, I finished my master's about August when they finally gave me the actual degree. And by November, I was already hired by the Cleveland Browns. And so I, I moved to Columbus. I was training with Louie and Buddy Morris come down and was talking with us. And he had been talking to me and seeing how strong I was, but also how I was kind of in charge of setting up the bands and chains and understanding the physics of all that. And uh, 
So he knew he needed a guy like that up at the up at the Browns. So he hires me, and two weeks later, that entire staff gets fired. I never work a day. <laughs> so I was just like, you know what? I was like, screw this. You're shit. like, Whoa. yeah. I was just like, I was just like, I need to figure out something on my own. So I start. I still stay. Talk that. about the program, you know? Yeah, dude. I had no clue. I was like, and you know, Buddy was just like, hey, man, we apologize. Like, this is just how the pro level is. Like, and then he ended up not working in the pros for another five years because he had to go back to Pitt and then Buffalo, and then he got back in the Cardinals. But it was just like. I think I'm like, hey, I'm not going to play that fucking game. So I, so I started doing stuff on my own and building up a clientele base around Columbus. Well, I got put into this magazine. It was like, it was a bodybuilding magazine, like flex magazine. They did this huge spread on Westside barbell. And I was like the top lifters, but I, they also listed my degrees and everything. And a, a Colonel from Ranger regiment saw it. And so he f- finds my contact info and he messages me and he's like, Hey, um, would you mind coming down to Fort Benning and looking at some of my soldiers? I think we might need to revamp some of the weight training protocol, but I'm not sure which way to go. And I'm like, I don't know shit about tactical, right? So I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I can come down there with a fresh set of eyes and tell you what I think. So I go down there and obviously I'm not impressed with their weight training program. It's set up by some jackass that's got them doing like, you know, ground-based hammer strength machines bicep curls and, you know, horse shit, right? So I, I take them through kind of what I think they need to go through, and I'm getting some data and some numbers. And this guy comes down in normal clothes, doesn't introduce himself for the title, and he's, he's like, well, what do you think of the guys? And I, I don't even know who he is. And I'm just like, well, honestly, I think they suck. And he's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, they're weak. And he goes – well, yeah, they're weak compared to you. You're like 300 pounds. I said, no, they're weak compared to my girlfriend I brought with me. And this chick was 130 pounds and could deadlift 405. And so she was like 365 or so on the bar over in the corner. And I said, you see that amount of weight on the bar over there? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, I haven't seen anybody be able to deadlift that yet today. And he goes, well, that's a lot of weight. So I called my girlfriend over there and said, hey, can you lift that real quick? And she picks it up and sets it down. And his face is like beet red, Right. And so he walks out and one of the guys comes up and goes, dude, that was the general. And I was just like, I was like, well, I guess I'm already fired. I've only been here like three hours. Right. Classic that way. Yeah. So about 20 minutes later or so, um, this guy comes running down on fatigues and says that he wants to see me in his office. The general wants to see me in his office. So I'm like, all right, I'm fired. So I walk into his office and he sits down and we're sitting there and he's, he's working on papers and he takes a phone call. He's not really ignoring me, but he's kind of situating everything. And I'm just sitting there going, dude, just tell me I'm going to, you're going to fire me because I don't want to be in Georgia in the middle of the summer anyway, you know, so, no. <laughs> especially back then when I was that big. So, um, so he, uh, he says, pure, pure hell of heat. Looks, yeah. He finally looks at me and he's like, you know, I've had all these doctors and all these strength coaches and all these trainers come and tell me my guys are elite. And you bring a 130-pound girl down here and, and stomp our ass. And I'm like, dude, I'm not trying to blow smoke up your ass or, like, make you guys feel bad. I just think that you don't have a real perception of what really strong is. And I think I can see why you yeah. guys are getting so many injuries. You guys are beating the shit out of themselves with – with cardiovascular training and high impact movements. And you guys have low level strength. I was like, get your strength level up, back the cardio down just like 20%. And we're going to save a ton of money and the guys are going to be way better. So he signs me to a three-year deal with Ranger Regiment. So I take over all of their shit. So in three years, the estimated from 07 to 10, they saved three and a half million dollars compared to what they spent from 04 to 07. And it was all you got a bonus. It was all based on impact injury. So their knees, ankles, and lower backs, because I cut their running down and then up their weights and then made their weights actually functional or whatever you want to call functional, but at least usable. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, and it dropped everything and it, and it actually raised their performance as well. So he remembered that and knew that I was never going to tell him bullshit. So he, you know, they move different places every three years. So the next year, he moves to Fort Carson, Colorado. 
Now, when I get to Fort Carson, Colorado, it's the same problem, but now it's an infantry unit, so it's a lower level of athleticism, right? I mean, there was a, there was a handful of those guys that slipped through the cracks and could have went special forces, or maybe they had disciplinary issues and they didn't take orders correctly or well. But on, in general, most of the guys just weren't fit enough to be better than that. And so we applied the same mentality, and we got the same result. But now, instead of 700 SF guys, it was 6,000 ground troops. Now we're talking like five, seven, eight million dollars savings in like a year and a half because of the lower back injuries were astronomical. The knee issues were astronomical, and all I was doing was getting their glutes and their hamstrings stronger. Right? I mean, I, yeah, I'm, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not downplaying what I did, but I'm just saying like. All I did was look at it from an injury standpoint and say, where are these guys weak? Let's get that area strong, right? It's kind of yeah, like if you're yeah. building a fast car, you can only keep putting so much horsepower in the engine before something else is the weakness, right? Like, you know, you get, you get a thousand horsepower, and now you don't have a transmission to hold it. Now your rear end won't hold it, and now you don't have good enough tires. But the, the military, and you know how, you know, you and I both know sports coaches don't think that way. They think more specific more specific and then all of a sudden they have no base right so yeah, yeah. so i started to change that they saw a huge improvement and then that got the attention of a lot of the fire departments around town but as you know that started to fire off colorado springs is the home of the nsca so scott mm -hmm. caulfield that used to run the performance center out there saw that i was doing all this work and he was a fan of mine and he asked me hey can you come in and talk to my interns. So I'm like, yeah, I'll come and do a little presentation and, you know, tell them they all suck. You know what I mean? Like we used to do at IPI. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Never. Never. <laughs> so, hilarious. So we go, so I go over there and so Scott likes my presentation and I didn't do anything crazy, but I was just talking about max effort method and a lot of the stuff that the NSCA just normally wouldn't talk about very often. Yeah. And yeah, not at all. No, it blew the interns away. So now um, Dr. Kramer, my old professor, was sitting in that talk. He was actually there at the time. And he goes, would you mind coming and start talking to the national conferences for tactical and, uh, you know, strength conditioning and, and coaches conferences and all that? And I said, you know, yeah, it'd probably be a good way for me to outreach and kind of get this knowledge to somebody else. Well, that started in like 2012. So in 2012, I started being asked to speak on all these NSCA conferences, and uh, that's where kind of more notoriety started to come because I started to be noticed as more of a, a speaker at that time, and especially with tactical stuff at first. Uh, so yeah, so that started, and then um, you know, in between all that time, I broke three all-time world records in powerlifting, and then started my own facility. And uh, now I'm in charge of four fire departments in the Columbus area. And then um, I still get contracts with the military occasionally, but they're, they're pretty far and few between. It's weird. It's the only time a Republican's been in office and we really haven't had a lot of spending for the military. It's been kind of. That's, that's opposite. <laughs> if I would have been in this position, I know you're, you're a couple years older than me, I think, but if I would have been in those, if I'd have been in that position in about 2002 when all that shit and, 9-11 happened and Bush was in office, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have to work right now. That's how much money was flowing yeah. into the military. But um, right now it seems they're more, they're more concerned with technology than they are fitness and reducing injuries. So that's just kind of huh. what you deal with. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. I mean, think about, I mean, one of the things that, that um, has been repeated over and over from when we were talking previously, and it seems to be a, a reoccurring theme is, consistency, you know, and um, with consistency of training, consistency of um, schedule, consistency of learning, um, putting all those things together, because you, you basically are multifaceting so many different levels of your operation and yourself. I mean, um, what's been what's been a really big key for helping you like put that time stamp together for schedule and, and what does what does a day look like for you now? Well, you know, I always, you know, selfishly, but in a good way, I always try to put myself and my knowledge and my physical performance first. You know, I feel like the big thing that's missing in coaching now is that nobody's willing to put their 
particular skin in the game. And for me, obviously, yeah. you remember when I was just coming out of college and I was already a gifted lifter, but I was already working really hard. And to, yeah. me, to me, it was building that foundation that when I was a kid, I had a little bit of gifts of being a bigger guy, but I put the work in. And, you know, to get to those world-class levels, it took me the consistency. It took me the drive. It took me the, the little tiny things that everybody else didn't want to do to be the best. And I remember that I, I knew at about 2022, about the time me, you and I met, that I was going to have to put in a lot of work to be one of the best of my generation. It wasn't going to come easy. And I don't, I'm not saying it comes easy for anybody, but for me, um, it, it, it took everything. It was a 24-hour-a-day job. So to me, it was always a consistency thing. I always had to just do maybe not more, but maybe more and smarter than other people would do. Um, and, and then I just calculated everything was a, was instead of being a money to, you know, a job ratio, it was always a stress to money ratio. So if I felt like something was too high a stress for me to take on uh, and the money wasn't valuable enough for me to afford that level of stress that I didn't do it. So it always allowed me to have more water in my cup, so to speak, to be able to sustain more training. So that was always a balance. Really cool. And then I started to realize that I was only a really good coach for about four, five hours a day, which is not, you know, necessarily easy if you're a college strength coach or a pro strength coach, or even, even worse, a high school strength coach. But I know for me, yeah. I am, I, I'm so intensive with what I do that I get worn down after about four to five hours and I become lethargic and I actually work against myself. So I, I think the big thing is you have to know what your limitations are and then make the most efficient possible positioning you can on those particular assessments. You got really cool, cool equipment. Your belt squat is fucking awesome. Looks really cool. Um, the reverse, um, or the, the good morning machine that you've been doing yeah. the bars, you also work on your cars, you know, so you have time for scheduling yeah. fun work along with it, right. Along with your, uh, cycles, you got the, the motorcycles right now, the bikes. Yeah. And, um, it's, it seems to me that like um, your work is your play a lot right now, which is cool. Yeah. You know that you designed it designed it that way. Um, what what are all the the pieces of of your business now? Like, what are the actual like construct in in like your team? What is that like, or is it sure. primarily you? Sure. So yeah, it, it it gets hard to see you know the, the entire puzzle on the internet, but. What I do is I usually help design or completely design the pieces that you're seeing. So the belt squat machine, the good morning machine, but I am not a fast enough fabricator to provide those pieces of equipment at a scale to sell. So what I did was it took me about six years of playing around with different companies till I found the right one. It was a small mom and pop's place about 35 minutes from here. They could do everything in house and had the level of, proficiency in quality that I wanted and coding that I wanted shipping standards that I wanted and that they were paying their guys a proper labor that, you know, fee. And that really is a big deal to me. I think a lot of these companies yeah. with these fucking made in the USA stickers on shit and then they're paying their guys $10 an hour is complete horse shit. It's not helping the economy yeah. at all. So my stuff can be more expensive than other companies, but with that in mind, that's why is that I'm going yeah. looking to pay people a, a quality living that they can make, you know, um, they can support a family. They could, they can have a normal job. I think, um, you know, it, it's, it's sad that our economy has gone that way where manufacturing has been treated like a secondhand rate thing. And um, so it's <laughs> awful. So what I do, what I do is I design the stuff, but then I'm smart enough to find people that are, that are good enough to help me with that. So, I basically have my uh, my winning strength side of the business with the equipment is now ran by the guys that build it. Um, and I go in and make the R&D change. We call them generational changes. So the belt squat's actually in its fourth phase of revamp. We're actually getting ready to launch a five. Um, so I go in and design those things. But I'm a really good at sitting down and designing and then cutting the first one off, making the, making the actual mold, and then let them copy it. Um, cause then I could sit around and it could take me maybe two hours to do something that a, a very high level fabricator, that that's all they do. They could probably do in like a half hour, but I have to sit and really think about 
the angles and the cuts and the welds because I don't do it all the time. I'm good at it, but I, do, I don't do it all the time. So I, I'm very, I'm very good at finding people that are, that make me shine um, as far as those things are concerned. Um, yeah. all, all the manuals and everything like that are completely written 100% by me. They get edited by, uh, I actually trained a lady that's a retired teacher that is, uh, has a master's degree in English. So she helps nice. me with, you know, my retarded writing, um, that, you know, that doesn't always come out. I'm getting better, but it's, it's one of those things where, you know, it's, um, you have to have a certain kind of mindset for that. And I'm right in between being highly educated and being a fucking complete meathead. So it's a good blend, <laughs> but it's, but it's, it's, you know, it's tough. So I would say that Practice. probably five, yeah, five to 10 hours a week is, is put towards, um, those particular products. And then I have an entire media team. So all of these YouTube channel videos that you see are all being ran by another company that come in and shoot the videos, but they do all the editing. Um, they run the entire website. They take all the orders for the manuals. So basically what you do is as you start to grow, you have to develop a team setting of ability to be successful because when you got your hands in, you know, five, six things, there's no way that you can sustain that all yourself. But the difficult part about that is finding the team members that you can turn your back for a week and you know they're going to get done what they need to have done. So that's another edge of the business. Um, we also have the gym, which is constantly staying busy, uh, but we limit that comparatively to, I work eight to noon. That's, that's all I'm good for, for training people. After that, I'm, I have to go sit in a dark room for a little while and collect my thoughts <laughs> and fucking kill anybody. Um, but you know how that goes. Nothing like rage. <laughs> yeah, nothing like rage. <laughs> yeah, mega rage. So um, we have the gym and then we have the contracts with the fire departments, which I still run 100%. Within the next one to two years, all of that's going to start to transition into um, former interns that I've had that I've pushed and made go to school, get their master's degree so we can start to create a, a team. Um, and then what what will end up happening is I'll start slowly backing off and just being in the managerial setting. Uh, but right now with the, I have so much experience now with getting these fire departments started and seeing the results and getting everybody on board that I have to do all that legwork at first. So the first year or two years that we get an apartment started, it's kind of like that. You, you can't make a first impression twice. And I have to be the, the yeah. letterhead of that. You know, and my interns are good at doing the legwork right now but they're not good at doing the setup work because that's where you really buy people in. You know, it's kind of like that first couple of weeks you get a good athlete in, maybe if you have a private center and you got a pro guy, you're only going to get him to buy in. If you can't get him to buy in the first 14 days, he's probably not going to stay with you. Um, so you yeah, have to show yeah, that's private results. Sector. Exactly. So, you know, that's what I've been dealing with. So creating those four fire departments, you know, we're always trying and working on getting others uh, but we're, we're getting pretty close to maxing that out. So we got fire departments, gym, online, uh, online manuals. And now we've dived into online coaching in the last probably three years. So we have 65 or 70 online clients. Um, so that yeah. takes a team of guys. And then I help with that. If it's a complex thing, like an ACL comeback or, you know, a hip replacement, and then I obviously I have to do that because just of the, you know, the experience, but, uh, the generalized training is is pushed towards my other two guys that both have master's degrees. One's from Kansas, another one from uh, Rocky Mountain State, which is where uh, Brent Alvar is from. So, so we we have a team of guys that have uh, it's taken me my entire life to to find and put together to have all these wheels turning, and that becomes the real difficult issue. Is you can sustain a small amount of business yourself, but eventually it's going to take a team. Yeah, you know, I thought I thought it was cool. Um, a quick rewind to the to the beginning of the conversation where you know Newton stepped away, and you ended up going through um, part of an educational process that you're like, I don't know if this will be for me. And then on your on your uh, feed, you have a whole separate part of your gym dedicated towards helping people with special needs, which I thought was interesting how this part of this of your life at that point in time was like, I don't know about this, but then you get, it looks like you get a whole lot of joy 
yeah. out of what you provide for for people with special needs and seeing that seeing the, the difference just by adding physicality in their life i mean what does that feel like for you and can you talk about that yeah that's i mean it's huge i mean the thing of it is is yeah i I think it's it's certain types of disabilities that I, I'm really um, really close to wanting to try to help small kids that have issues like that because the kid that you're seeing Trey that's kind of I've tried to help on the Instagram make a little make a little famous and see the type of stuff that we step out of and do at the gym. He has the same walking gait issues that I had getting out of cast after I got hit by a car, and he's the exact yeah. same age that happened to me. So I have this connection with him that he was the same age I was in a wheelchair and I was bedridden and I couldn't move or walk correctly out of cast. So for me, it's kind of like, okay, this is all the information you've put together. This is all the education that you have, you know, um, put yourself through. Now fix somebody that you wish could have fixed you when you were that age and had those issues. Obviously his, his is a spinal cord problem and he, has, he had a brain tumor but, you know, I feel some connection to him because of the age and the, the problems with his legs because I remember those issues. So um, I'm, I'm, when I do that kind of stuff to help kids, it's, I'll help any kid that I feel needs me. But it's mostly an interview of the parents because the problem is you find is that most parents that have kids of that nature, they're not willing to put the kids through tough enough shit to make a difference. They're they feel sorry for him. They try to protect him more. At the end of the day, no matter what kind of disability Trey has or does not have by the time he's 18, the rest of the world doesn't care. They care now because he's little, you know, and everybody feels sorry for a kid. But when he's 18 and he can't walk correctly, you walk right past him like he's, he's nothing special, you right? And I think that's the problem is you have to find the right parents that are willing to make the kids do uncomfortable things to see progress that may not be available later. You know, you know, as well as I do that some of those motor patterns are developed between the ages of four and 10 and you, you cannot wait until 16 or 18 to start fixing stuff that should have been fixed 10 years ago. It's like an uphill battle. You know, it's, it's not, it's not going to happen as well. And it's probably not going to be nearly as um, beneficial. So you know, it's yeah. one of those things where you actually have to interview the parents and be get along with them and let them know that, hey, he's going to bust his ass. He's going to get skinned up. He's going to hit his head. He's going to do things. But it's going to be better off that he does it now than when it's impossible to fix when he's older. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a whole nother language. Yeah. I mean, for, for a human body, I mean, it's like it's a lot easier for kids to learn language. It's a lot easier for kids to learn their bodies at certain ages. And, and like you said, man, um, the idea of kindness versus sympathy. I mean, you can be not nice and be kind and you can be sympathetic and do a lot of damage. Yep. So yeah, I think yeah, that's a lot of the problem that we have today is that we have so many enablers, but we have people that aren't actually making other people progress. And you and I both know that we, you know, getting, getting high level degrees is not comfortable. Getting super strong is not comfortable. If you want to be successful in life, you have to learn to deal with things being uncomfortable and doing shit that the average person doesn't want to do. That's how people yeah. get successful, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Comfortability, yeah. Comfort, being comfortable and being complacent is a great way to get nowhere. <laughs> yeah, you get absolutely nowhere, dude. Yeah. Where, where do you see, um, where, where do you see like yourself going in the next, like, say five years? Like, where do you see uh, winning strength and Lotus Magnus going? I see, I see the gym and, and, the, and the website. I mean, it's, it's odd if you'd have told me, and, and I'm sure you're the same way when we met in, you know, Oh three or whatever, that if you would have told me that, that 75 or 80% of my business was going to switch to online, I would have never, I would have never guessed that, but it's just the trend. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, as much as I like being in the gym for my limited hours, um, you know, the real money is to be made in um, services and products that are provided via the internet. So it's, it's one of those things that I see, I see winning strength and Ludus Magnus becoming a, um, a very large name in, in online coaching based on the fact that I'm not so sure that there are other teams of guys that are doing this online where everyone has high level degrees, everyone has proficient experience in strength training. Everybody has, um, you know, 
not that I'm like the, the be all know all, but that they have long amounts of months and years of styling of programming that I do under their belt, where you know you're understanding different contraction types and all these things. So I, I see the internet side going exploding. I'm really getting into loving writing manuals and doing training DVDs. Um, I, I, I like to hand people information and let them have the power to make themselves better. And then I back away and go, you know what, if you don't want to use it, that's up to you. But I don't like, I think the hard part about training someone is then I feel responsible for whether they show up and make progress. But if I hand you a manual and show you everything that you're supposed to do, I don't feel the stress in that because then it's, it's your work ethic at that point. It's not me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what for your own growth? Um, what are some things that you feel like you're are pushing you outside of your comfort zone to explore right now? That's a really good question because the last couple of years I've really been streaming on the diet um, and, and not necessarily just for aesthetics purposes. Um, I, I want to stay as muscular as I can and as I get older, but if I don't do that in a healthy fashion, uh, that's not going to be sustainable. One, two, to me, since I've kind of stepped back from the all time world records, I want to see and test myself on understanding and learning how to manipulate my diet. So I've been playing around with how do I put myself in a calorie deficit and not be hungry? How do I train when I'm running on less carbs? So I know how all that feels. So when I put somebody else through that particular situation, I have personal experience on that. And it's making me grow so much as a person as I'm uncomfortable. Like, you know, I put, when we first met, I put all of my knowledge into reps and sets and volume and intensity and rest periods. And I, I just ate what I wanted because all I was trying to do was get bigger because I knew I had to weigh 305 yeah. to hit those numbers. Now what I've realized is that I could have done that a lot healthier. I could have done that a lot better path. And luckily I say that before it, it caused any health issue, but the big, the big thing yeah. of it is, is I'm always pushing myself in uncomfortable positions to learn. So that forced me to write a diet manual. So that way I had to figure out, okay, how many calories am I taking in? What kind of foods can I, um, you know, put in or take out to, to give me the similar results, but give me um, variability. So mm -hmm. for me, um, pushing the diet and then trying to get as lean as I can and stay as strong as I can has been a a journey for me uh, as difficult as it was to break records uh, because it becomes another, again, another 24 hour a day job where you're prepping your meals. You're learning how to cook smarter. You're learning how to eat the right shit. You're seeing what it does to your blood work. And that started pushing me towards understanding more hormone profiles, blood work. That's why I started doing a lot of mentorships with Charles Poliquin because I felt yeah. that he had knowledge in that area that was my deficiency. And that's where I think a lot of people screw up is that, um, you know, I came to IPI when I first met you because I felt like my knowledge in strength training was high, but my knowledge in running was low. And I didn't want that to be a weakness. Yeah. So I thought I learned a lot in, um, you know, dynamic mobility and running mechanics and all that other shit down there to where when I came back, maybe I wasn't a Lauren Seagrave, but I definitely knew a little bit or a, a lot about what I was talking about. And then so yeah. I felt like, the strength training was covered, the running and the mobility and the, the dynamic flexibility and all this other stuff was covered. And then I meet Charles after breaking world records and I start learning the diet and hormone profiles. I basically just making myself as rounded as I can and putting myself next to people that make me work my deficiencies. That's where I think people screw up because we're taught in school, hey, go, go study what you like, find your passion. Yeah, that's great but find all those things around your passion that you're deficient in and get smart at those. So the biosig stuff with Charles and um, especially, you know, we, we actually just talked with Stan. Um, my business partner, and I talked with Stan um, a couple of weeks ago. And um, so how, how are those two influences right now? Um, what, what have you been, picking out as far as like some of the biggest lessons so like so far for both styles? Well, that that's difficult because I'm kind of hybriding those things. So what I'm learning to utilize the biosig for at the highest level, once the diet's corrected, which we both know is the hardest thing to do. Um, I use the biosig to navigate supplementation. So if I see a guy has a recovery issue 
or a toxicity issue or a gynoid android issue, I use that is my quick fix blood work for clientele base or firemen. So actually I just spent seven hours yesterday, which was brutal doing these bioprints on uh, probably 28 different firemen and then breaking down what their red flags were and showing them how to fix things. But a lot of what I use the biosig for is to rec is to recommend and kind of get a, a, a kind of a, a bullseye view of some lifestyle change things that we need to do, i.e., um, you know, I think staying on one side, the, the way he eats is how I would, in a nutshell, tell almost everyone to eat because you're not, you're not really, um, you're not bastardizing carbs, proteins, or fats. You're utilizing all of them, but you're selecting high quality, high absorbability foods. So that is a massive plus to me. And the other reason I like the vertical diet is the people that I put on it that are legit about making changes, it's sustainable. Now, we all know that dieting, there might be a better way than vertical, but I haven't seen a better way that's sustainable. So yeah. for me, yeah. that is a really good product. But on the other side of the things is that that biosig I utilize to see, show the firemen and a lot of the people I train to get away from parabens, get away from aluminum deodorants, get away from styrofoams, get away from plastic containers, plastic foods. And this is huge because most of my firemen come back high gynoid because they're in fire retarded gear that's causing them mm. to have estrogenic side effects, which is why you mm. see a high cancer incidence in the fire service because their estrogens are through the fucking roof. So huh. by utilizing that system, it's showing me the correlation with that. And then I utilize a vertical diet to fix their nutritional needs slowly. Um, and now how I do that is, um, stands pretty much, you know, go my way a hundred percent and don't really navigate away. What I found is experiment with about 350 firemen is that if I let them have at first, the first 30 days, a cheat meal every three days, then after 30 days, they go to five. And then after 60 days, they go to every seven days, they can eat what they want. And what I found was by default, I started looking at research. Um, the European psychology journal was talking about basically how that matches verbatim long-term habit changing, hmm. right? So I'm going to change their mentality on how to eat. And that's kind of, so I've kind of blended in the psychology of habit forming, uh, Stan Efferding's vertical diet on how to eat. And then on Charles Biosig side, how to structure and identify some key variables that may be causing some hormonal shifts and imbalances. And that, to yeah. me, in those three sectors, you can't beat it. Like, the only way you could beat that is that if I was a physician, could do immediate blood work on people, right, and then dial everything in 100% based off of things that are going to cost a lot of money to measure. But I feel like with these three things, the cost and the package in and of itself is a pretty, pretty solid way to make some really good lifestyle changes that are going to be more permanent. Yeah, it's a, like you said, the base of that pyramid's got to be nice and strong. And, and those seem like, especially with uh, the basis for um, taking the villain away from food, period, you know, and, and placing the responsibility on the individual to make habit forming changes is, is a solid place to go. And, and I think it was interesting, too, there was a, there was a podcast that was, that was focused primarily on uh, microbiome and the idea of uh, microRNA that's being researched right now from, uh, and I, you know, when I was thinking microbiome, the first thing that pops in my head is, uh, is just uh, probiotics, right? So yeah. bacteria in the, in the gut. And it was interesting. He was talking primarily about fungi in the gut, viruses and parasites that are necessary for symbiotic relationships to push out microRNA and um, it's also absorbed through the skin, like what you talked about with your uh, firefighters that are, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fire so it, it was, yeah. yeah, so it's like, okay, we're getting all this information from absorption um, from multifaceted, like our, our organs of our skin and, and from our gut lining and, and also from the symbiotes that, that we need. So it's like, if we're going to take care of our, our main baseline, of um, what we wear and what we eat and what we surround ourselves by and the information from how we're absorbing, um, how we're, our relationships are with the people around us 
and how we yep. con a conceptual that, that framework, man, it's, yep. that's huge. Just like what well, you, you ever, said with, you ever uh, notice this, you notice this, you notice the same thing. Ex ex exceptional people and insanely productive people have a very tight circle. Yeah. They don't, they don't allow a lot of negative energies in. They don't, they stay separated from a lot of the general bullshit. Um, you know, a lot of the most successful people I know aren't even super, you know, unless it's part of their job, like me or something that they're not super accessible on social media. They just don't, they're not even there. Um, you know, that, yeah. that's a huge thing, but yeah, I mean, going back to what you're saying is like, think about how many receptors we have to just sunlight or lack of, right? I mean, like yeah. just, just that in general is a huge factor, factor for vitamin D, for recovery, all of these things for mood, you know? Um, so if sunlight can be that big of a change, then what the hell is, you know, the type of food you're eating and absorbing going to do? What is the type of stress levels, which I think is monstrous in how you absorb foods, how you absorb training? Do you grow or do you stagnate? I would say that 70% of people's growth, especially in a performance sector, is not associated with stuff you're doing in the gym, more so of what you're doing outside of the gym. And what you're correlating with food wise, people wise, stress wise, right? Yeah. Would you do you have a way that you've been helped people out with with their relationships? Or is it primarily the structure that you have around the gym and coordination with you and your your team to help them communicate more frequently with with coaches rather than people that may be leading down different paths? Yeah, it, that's that's. I think that might be the next avenue in which I would like to really start working on. Um, you know, we are so my biomechanical background. You know, I am so movement pattern based that I almost focus too much on movement quality versus yeah. um, those types of factors. And I think that's probably the next gate or my next. I would say deficiency. You know, I think. You know, I think a lot of people don't talk about what their deficiencies are. I have obviously a special mindset to be able to do the things I've done physically. Um, and sometimes I take that for granted and that could be a fault of mine, but it also creates no limitation in my mind as well for people. So when somebody thinks that something's hard or heavy or whatever, you know, I, I know that they have more potential because I made myself have more potential. So that creates a, a nice dynamic at the gym where I think people feel like it's limitless of what they can accomplish because of what I accomplished. You know, yeah, and, and, no, that's really and cool. it, it doesn't always rub off that way. But, you know, I think over time I start to see it really changes. I, I mean, my average client that I have at the gym is probably four to six years as long as they stay. We don't have anybody that yeah. comes in for two months or three months because they like the culture. They know they feel empowered coming in there. How I've gotten that, all I can do is theorize that it's because we set no limitations and we, you know, we, we push ourselves. So we know what it's like to hit pitfalls and, and plateaus. And we don't call it the end of the world. We just, we teach people to love to train. You got to love to just do what you do. And then everything else falls in place. If you're goal oriented all the time, and then those goals don't happen. And especially as you get better, let's just say strength, for example, you know, once you get up to a 600 pound bench, you're going to claw, scratch and bite all the way up every pound. Right. So it, it's, it's not an easy thing. So you have to start enjoying processes versus goals. And I think that was always my thing is I wanted to always be able to train. I always wanted to be able to work out. I always wanted to be able to feel like it was a, a more of a stress reliever than a stress bringer to me. And um, yeah. that's what created the consistency and longevity that we were talking about in the beginning. It sounds like you have these shifting goals and you're cool with the fact that these goals can change and be dynamic so that the process in itself is what what brings you joy in showing other people and exhibiting that, not showing, uh, but living that, yeah. I'm sure is a, is a huge representation of leading from the top and yeah. how everybody wants to not only follow that, but they also embody that, that leadership. Yeah. Well, the thing of it is, I think that the, yeah, the first step is you got to understand that no one is going to be able to know everything. We just don't live long enough, you know, um, and we don't, we're not in our prime long enough to say this is the absolute best way to work out. This is the absolute, you know, there is no definitive, like, absolute statements you can make with training or physicality because we just don't know. And that to yeah. me, 
is a positive, not a negative, but for a lot of people, they, they feel they have to know everything. And that's the first step to doing nothing is because what happens is you start boxing yourself in to not educating yourself more. Because if you already think you know everything, then your ability to learn more becomes less, right? Yeah. And that yeah. becomes a huge factor in slightly progression. And that's what I mean is like, you will never be the same person today as you are tomorrow as you were a week ago, meaning that you have to evolve. You have to change goals. You have to, you have to morph into something else constantly to keep growing because you're never going to be in the same foot placement twice, whether it be a day or your joint health or your age chronologically or training age, right? All these things are going to change and you have to be able to mold with those changes. You can't, you can't just solidify yourself and then all of a sudden you're unbendable and things that don't bend break, you know? Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I know Actually, man. you gotta come, you gotta come up to Ohio and hang out sometime. It, there's these different micro assessments that I've been getting into. Um, after, after IPI and starting up with Pete, I went back to massage therapy school and studied about 42 different massage modalities. You know what you're doing for your winning warmups, which has been, I want to say largely influential in building base light tissue response and um, establishing well, the connection of the brain to to uh, yeah. to just just not even proprioception, but just somatics and awareness. Yeah, well, that's so, the, that's um, the story yeah. behind that. So yeah, I'll give you I'll give you a background on that because a lot of people don't know, but it's quick. But um, so 2012, I benched the first 600 pounds, so that put me at 13th of all time. Was with Kazmaier. Ted RCD, all those dudes. So I was one of the few guys that had ever done it in a, as a full power lifter, not just a bench guy. And so I decided to go after world records raw, right? And I took all the equipment off and went to raw. And the world record was 2202. So I go to this meet, I squatted slight under 800. Keep in mind the world record's only 826. And my bench press is not 600 after that squat. It knocked my dick in the dirt. I didn't have the conditioning. So I mm. drive back home and I'm thinking, how do I fix this bench? Like, you know, the meathead in me goes, just get stronger. But <laughs> I knew that it was a conditioning problem. So what I started to do was I created the winning warm-up. So I called my friend Flex Wheeler, one of the top bodybuilders ever. And I said, hey, Flex, if you were going to try to do some volume pre-heavy, what rep range would you use to not degradate maximal effort but get more volume in? He goes, 25 all day long. He goes, think about it. If you're doing 25 reps, there's no way it can, it can hit. It, you, one, you can't go heavy enough. If you can do it for 25, it's not like saying you can do it for 10, right? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. So I, I said 25. Well, I started off with like 30-pound dumbbells. Well, eight months later, um, and then I said, okay, well, what, what were my two weaknesses that I think were a problem? Well, lats and triceps. I need, nobody has enough of those as a powerlifter, maybe as even general population. So I, so I start doing pull downs and, and triceps and then throwing in these. So here's my point. I thought I was doing pre-fatigue, right? I thought, okay, I'm just going to get more conditioned doing this. What I started to notice was, is that my motor patterns were improving and my ligament tendon density was going up and I was getting in better shape. Yeah. So I was like, holy shit, this front loading is potentiating weaker muscle groups and forcing these muscles to work better, which is a completely different mindset than what anybody else had was why would you get tired before you do something hard? And what I figured <laughs> out was it's because we got to potentiate those motor patterns and those motor and those muscle groups into the movement more proficiently. So basically it's like cheating the test. You're telling the answers to the body of what you want it to do and which muscles you want to use and then you put it in a compound movement and they work. So that's when I figured out potentiation and I'm like, holy shit. So that was, that was the background behind winning warm up. Dude, you know, like the, um, the potentiation idea, right? And, and, and like what I think and what I notice is anyone that has, um, that can recover or is dealing with like minor aches, injuries, whatever, like former athletes, your style of consistently rotating through exercises and finding different 
pieces of a, a joint range that are different loads that need just consistent volume is a really, really critical thing for a lot of people. That's it, man. That's why that's why I love these type of conversations is because a majority of the coaches that that I talk to are just like, hey, man, I'm looking to, to improve subtly in all these different venues. And, and that's why when I get to Columbus, for sure, man, I'm definitely stopping in and seeing my my old ass come into the gym and <laughs> hit some hit some, hit some weights dude where can people find the stuff that you're doing sure so we have the youtube channel winning strength it's it's growing by leaps and bounds but we put out a couple of videos a week just on lifting techniques and theory stuff we also have a patreon channel where we allow the manuals and stuff to be fed to you absolutely free as a member and then you also get direct access to me, emails uh, or messengers on that. Um, we also provide like today at 2 p.m. I'm going to do an advanced um, advanced programming 90 minute presentation uh, just for Patreon members to where they can see kind of my thought process of how to develop programming and what the what is behind the scenes on uh, how to train. Uh, one of the big things we're going to go over on that, which you might be able to talk about or think about at some point is uh, I flipped from percentage-based training in about 2009 to RPE because I had to have a fluctuating a fluctuating standard based on the fact that I started reading tons of Zatsuworski stuff and he's saying that strength can vary between 5 to 12% each day. Yeah. So now if you're basing shit off of percentages and you're at world-class numbers, there's no way to sustain those percentages. So oh, what I started so to realize is it shit got too variable. So I had to base it off of how I felt. So what I started to notice is when I flipped over to an RPE, my psychological stress to training dropped and my performance rose. So I'm going to go over that today in advanced programming on how you have to think about loading parameters in a much different aspect. Once you reach a certain advanced stage, um, hmm. kind of like Alexi, I've used to train by feel. He never trained on percentages after a while. Hmm. Um, then um, so we have the Patreon channel, we have the YouTube channel, Winning Strength, and then we have the, the website, winningstrength.com, which you can order equipment, manuals. Um, we have uh, online coaching there, which I, I feel we're one of the best in the country at it. Um, and then we have, um, let's see, equipment, and then we also have the gym. So if anybody's around Columbus or is coming through the Columbus area, you, know, you can stop by Ludus Magnus, ask some questions, hang out, kind of see the equipment hands-on. We also have like you know merchandise and shirts. Hey man, this has been fucking awesome. I love love chatting no with problem, you. Got, we got to, we got to do it more than every twenty years. <laughs> yeah, just man, just get a hold of me anytime you want, man. Like I said, I'm I'm pretty free now that I've started to slowly back off my hours, so I have time for projects if you give me a couple weeks in advance. Later, buddy. Thank you for listening to the show. If you want more, head over to bizbody.net for more. Also, make sure that you guys give us a review, maybe five stars to share with your friends, especially ones that can use us the most. Next week, Josh Hash from the Strength Side. Until then.